0: Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. Uh, hi friends, uh, please turn back to uh, Numbers chapter 13, 14. That's what we're going to be looking at today. If uh, you're new with us or uh, stepping in, uh, we're halfway through a series in the Old Testament book of Numbers, a book that a lot of uh, people who've um, been in church all their life have never actually looked at. And we're kind of digging in and seeing what God would have to say to us. And today, thinking about the whole issue of fear, actually. So I'm going to pray. Um, You might bow your heads as we talk to God and ask for His help. Oh, Heavenly Father, we uh, come with so many things on our minds and hearts this afternoon. For some of us, um, anxieties and fears and concerns and worries that are troubling us. Uh, For some of us, our life is fine uh, when we should be more concerned uh, about the needs of others. But Father, wherever we are today, we pray that you would please help us to know that in you, we need not fear. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was about 13. We were on this once-in-a-lifetime uh, family holiday to Fiji, and we are on a seaplane out to Mana Islands. It's kind of a spectacular um, place. It was amazing. And uh, it's this little eight-seater, and the pilot kind of turns around to me and says, would you like a go at the controls? And I, like, and I really, really did. Like, I love planes and all this stuff. Anyway, I say no, because my 13-year-old shyness was like, oh, I don't know, I, I wouldn't want my family to be watching or too worried to try the new thing or whatever it was. And we land, and it was amazing, and we had this holiday, and I kind of, here we are, like, you know, a couple of decades later, I'm still like, I missed out on the seaplane. And seriously, isn't it? Um, There are times and moments when fear has caused you to miss out, Um, perhaps on some amazing experiences. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was executed in 1945 for his role in resisting Hitler. He once wrote about fear, these words. He says, fear crouches in people's hearts. It hollows out their insides. Fear secretly gnaws and eats away at all the ties that bind a person to God and to others, leaving them helpless and despairing while hell rejoices. Uh, Fear can ruin you. Uh, Fear can paralyze you from making decisions. Fear can isolate you from other people. Uh, Fear can make you betray your friends. Uh, And when you look at the case of Peter on the night before Jesus died, even deny God. Fear can make you waste your life or miss out on eternal life. Because that's what happened to a whole generation of the Israelites. Fear kept them out of the promised land. You know, the story of the 12 spies investigating the promised land is a bit of a classic in children's Bibles. Some of you might remember it from Sunday school. Uh, It's this exciting, you know, story spying out the land for 40 days And uh, it it should be a classic case because it's a real turning point in the Old Testament and a low light. And Psalm 95, that we said together, says this moment must never be forgotten. It's that important. And it warns us um, that fear can be controlling, that fear can be revealing, and then we're going to see how fear can be liberating. Did you get that? It's on your handout. If you're one of those handout-take-notes kind of people, that'll be a help to you. Okay, first of all, fear can be controlling. Now, of course, we all have fears, and many of them are healthy and natural. Um, It's fear that causes you to grab a child's hand when they're too close to the road, and that's a good thing. But we know that we can be overcome by fear. Some of us have our lives dominated by phobias. Some of us are controlled by anxiety, We can be overcome by fear. It can even overpower faith, which is what went wrong for the Israelites so long ago in the wilderness. Now, where are we up to? Well, um, God's rescued the ancient Israelite people from slavery in Egypt. They've been camping out at Mount Sinai for 14 months. They got the Ten Commandments, messed it all up, keep going. Um, And then they're on this 11-day hike to the Promised Land. Day three, they grumbled about the camp food which no one he's ever done about, right? We did look at that last week, uh, chapter 11. Um, Then they grumble about Moses' leadership. That's chapter 12. We're not looking at that uh, this series. Um, But interestingly, they've still made it, right? They're on the edge of the promised land. It's called the Wilderness of Pran. They're there and they're ready for it to go in. And and on God's instruction, Moses sends in some spies. We're going to pick it up at the end of their report. So uh, grab your Bibles. And turn back. My Bible's still in Hebrews, so uh, turn back. It's the book of Numbers. We're on page 121 if you've got these blue Bibles. And I'm going to read from verse 25, Numbers 13, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, the spies returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land and they told him we came to the land to which you sent us it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit however the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large and besides we saw the descendants of Anak there so what's the report Um, it's a good land it's flowing with milk and honey and that's expressions come into the English language uh, they, they've brought back this bunch of grapes so big that it takes two guys with a pole to carry this amazing abundant bunch of grapes. But did you notice there's a however? However. The people are strong, the cities are fortified, and they're really, really tall. Um, they've come from the tribe of Anak, known as being tall. Now, that could have been the end of the story. Yes, the people are big. Yes, it's really scary. But God's just defeated the superpower called the Egyptian army, superpower of the day. So you know what? Let's trust God and let's go. And we wouldn't have needed the rest of the book of Numbers. We wouldn't need the book of Deuteronomy. We wouldn't have wasted 40 years and straight to the book of Joshua. But that's not what happens. Because when fear grips the human heart, it can control us. We can exaggerate. And we can catastrophize. We we make it worse. So have a look um, from verse 30 and how the people uh, respond. Verse 30. Uh, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of a great height. And there we saw the Nephilim. And on it goes. Um, Actually, the end of that verse. um, We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Now, it was never going to be easy going into the promised land. There's a reason that the book of Numbers is called Numbers, because they took a census of all the fighting men that they were going to need to go in. But notice how all the problems are exaggerated. This is a land that, what, is, what do they say? It devours its, its inhabitants, which isn't true. They've just shown what a beautiful, abundant land it is. They say all the people are giants now, so, so maybe there are a few of them, but now all the people are giants. Uh, the Nephilim, which is... Um, This kind of uh, bizarre reference from Genesis 6 about almost these mythological, you know, giant-type creatures, people, um, uh, which is kind of just bound to kind of spark fear. And so what's going on? This is fear talking. You know, they're giants, we're grasshoppers. It's fear talking. There's a lot of fears that can control us, aren't there? A fear of the future that for some of us paralyzes us from making any decisions. It might be uh, the fear of not having enough. Um, All those superannuation ads ride that fear, don't they? Now, there's the fear of death that leads many people to waste their lives. But the fear that grips the people here is one of the most common fears in the Bible, and it's called the fear of man, the fear of people. There's an Ed Welch uh, book, he's a Christian counsellor, and it, the book is called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And this is like the textbook case, the Numbers 13, 14. The people are literally big. And they're saying God's too small to overcome this problem. Uh, the book of Proverbs warns us that the fear of man, the fear of people, lays a snare. It's a trap, and it will get you. And it's not just about you know, physical fear of those who might be tall or powerful or strong. This is about the whole problem of people-pleasing. In the Bible, Samson gives in to Delilah. King Saul disobeys God. Peter denies Jesus. Why? Because of the fear of other people. Why don't you think about your workplace? In Colossians 3, we're given a warning about what's called eye service. It's a strange expression, but what it means is you only only work hard when someone's got their eye on you, You when the boss is watching. Or to kind of extrapolate a little bit, um, You only work hard when you know that you're going to get approval or status or kudos or reward. You don't do the work just for the sake of the work and the enjoyment and the excellence of it, but because others will see you. Think about our relationships. Um, Ed Welch, uh, in that book that I mentioned, he writes these words. He says, One of the deepest, most common roots of our relational problems is the fear of man. Whether it is labelled shyness, peer pressure, people-pleasing, codependency, or the need for love and approval. It's all the fear of other people. We live in a society where there's less fear of oppression, but far more fear of personal failure. And it all comes back to this, the fear of other people. Now, if you're a Christian person here, at some point, fear has stopped you. From standing up for Jesus or speaking up for Jesus? I know it because I've done it. You may not be a Christian here. Maybe you're here exploring and, and we're so glad that you're here. I just want you to know that one of the things that's going to happen as you explore Christian things is, at some point, fear is, is going to stop you. You know, you, you'll have this thought, what if all my friends knew I was going to church? What if my husband and wife found out this wasn't just a phase? And there's a moment of choice, isn't there? Whether fear is going to stop you really exploring who God is. Our fears can control us. Now, the good news of Jesus is they don't have to. Um, do Do you know what the most common command in the Bible is? It's not about love. It's not about faith. It is, do not fear. Don't be afraid. And Jesus wants you to know that you don't have to be afraid anymore if you're with him. You know, when, when Jesus is on the, um, there's a storm that comes up one day and Jesus' disciples are in the boat with him and suddenly they're completely freaking out thinking that they're going to die. After Jesus calms the, the storm with one word, what does he say to his disciples? He says, why are you so afraid? Have you such little faith? You know, Caleb knew that we don't have to be afraid because he knew biblical mathematics, right? One plus God is greater than anything. One plus God is greater than anything. Now, in verse uh, 9 of chapter 14, Caleb says, "'Don't fear the people of the land. They're bred for us. Their protection's removed. The Lord is with us. Don't be afraid.'" And you know what? Caleb doesn't go and refute all the exaggerating and the details. He just says, maybe they are giants. That actually doesn't matter because the Lord is with us and the Lord is greater. Do not fear. When we planted a new church in this place uh, nine years ago, there were 17 of us um, and I think two kids um, in an area where kind of church attendance and interest in Christian things has been on the decline for a number of decades. Um, I found an old photo. How's this? There's a few of us, looking a little bit younger. <laughs> 17 of us trying to do something new and something grand. You're all like, "Where's me?" Uh, you know, that's right. Every time you look at a photo, who do you look for? You. See, we always. Will. I don't have to convince you about sin. You always look for you, don't you? Think of you first. Um, uh, here we were trying to start something new. Um, something that in one sense is kind of humanly impossible, but you know what, um, probably in church today we're going to have about 100, 117 adults and about 60, 70 kids and God has been changing people's lives in this humble little church and changing eternities through what God's done here. Um, at the start of this year, two of our own number said that they wanted to be trained for Christian ministry and uh, we're so excited about them and encouraged at their desire to learn and serve, that we've taken them on as interns. But financially, it's meant a risk. Overnight, we kind of just increased our budget by $40,000 as a church, and we're still catching up. And you know what? Um, but we, do, we don't want to be controlled by fear, but by trusting God in what He is doing in the world. And um, I've got to, I, I just have to confess, though, we're a little bit behind, and I'm not pretending that I have the faith of Caleb sometimes i do worry about these things but you know what um that begs the question isn't it how would you get the faith of caleb how would you get more of that faith that's prepared to stand against the majority stand against a nation and say this is the way to go well just before we get to the cure we need to let the problem go a bit deeper we've got to cut a little bit deeper to the roots of fear it's not just that fear can be controlling it's that fear can be revealing Fear can be revealing. So here's the thing. Today's not just a question of, are you, you know, do you have fear or faith? The reality is, whatever it is that you fear will show you where your true faith is, okay? And what you fear shows you what you are hoping in and trusting in and longing for, Because you might be the most secular person in the room today, but there is something that you trust and hope and have faith in. We all do. Um, And uh, for the Israelites, after that bad report came in, it was their fears that revealed where their faith was. So let's pick it up again at uh, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1. (coughs) Numbers 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, Now, it's interesting, when we are worried or anxious or afraid, our fears, they reveal what our like, spiritual security blankets are. You know, kind of where we go for comfort and hope. And here's the Israelites, they're so afraid that they're pining for Egypt. Wouldn't it be great to go back to slavery? But at least we knew where our next meal was coming from. There was comfort, security, civilization. So they say, let's have a leadership spill and whoever will take us back to Egypt, we're going with that guy. And it's so kind of ridiculous, except that most of us know someone. We've had a friend who went back to a bad relationship because they were too afraid of being on their own. Too many of us who are Christians have at least wondered, maybe my life would have been better back there if i'd never become a christian but i want you to notice fear exposes where our true faith is where we look for hope and comfort and so friends the next time that you're kind of you've got that sick feeling in your stomach um sometimes i'm like i've forgotten something and then i kind of, you, um, whatever that is like chase down that feeling and ask yourself a question what is it that i'm afraid of here what is my kind of disaster scenario? What is it that I'm telling myself that I, I need and I must have and I could not live without? Because your fear will show you where your faith is. Whatever it is that you've told yourself that you need and you can't live without, you know there's another thing? That's what will control you, right? If the, if the thing that you fear most is, is kind of criticism, then you'll you'll be desperate for the approval of other people. If you fear not having enough, you'll be in love with money and wealth. If you you kind of really crave attention, it's because you fear um, being alone and being rejected. And in all those little examples, other people have a power over you. There's something that you need from other people and it will control you. You see, fear and worry are more than emotions. They reveal our allegiances. They reveal what we really trust and hope in. Maybe our own comfort or money or status or approval and not in the God who made us. And interestingly, that's exactly how Numbers 14 diagnoses our fear of people. It kind of matches it up and says, you know what this is? This is rejection of God. Let's have a look at verse 6 of chapter 14. It's uh, just two two of the spies who um, are kind of standing uh, for God, Joshua and Caleb, and they say this in uh, Numbers 14, verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Did you notice? Verse 9, in the same breath, Caleb equates, don't fear people with, don't rebel against the Lord which doesn't go down so well with um, this particular focus group. They try and stone them, except God intervenes. And then after God intervenes, God gives the same diagnosis. How long will these people despise me? They're afraid of people. That's the same as despising me. Now, this isn't, today's message isn't just about having faith or even having faith in kind of what you feel maybe God's called you to do in life. This was rebellion, It was disbelief in things that God had commanded and God had spoken and God had promised clearly. And friends, when we are too afraid of other people to do what God commands or to trust what God promises, we are treating the God of the universe as if he is small, a lightweight, inconsequential, insignificant, now, uh, one author, Trillia Newbell, uh, she writes in a book on fear and faith. She writes this. She says, "Tragically, you and I deny Christ every time we care more about what others think of us than of what God has already declared." That's challenging, isn't it? To to be afraid of other people is a lack of faith in the living God. Now at best, fear is natural and an opportunity to trust God, okay? At worst, fear is denial and a blatant disregard and rejection of God. And in Numbers 14, the way, the way that the Israelites reject God and his plans for the people is so blatant that we're told the Lord rejected them. And at first, you can go home and read kind of the details. But so first, um, God says to Moses, you know what? Um, i'm going to make a whole new nation out of you moses and you can go in and you can have the land and moses intercedes he prays on behalf of this grumbling stubborn people who are trying to kick him out you know a chapter earlier he intercedes and god hears moses and answers his prayer and says okay but here's what we're going to do there will be discipline this adult generation the ones who saw um who walked through those walls of water in the escape from the exodus those ones will not enter They will die in the wilderness. For 40 years, they will wander around. And it will only be their children, the ones they were so afraid that God wouldn't look after, it will only be their children who get to go into the land. And actually, if I can just speak to the parents here for the moment, it might be that your fears for your children reveal what you really trust, hope, and worship in your life, even more than your own fears. What you, you kind of imagine as what you're afraid for your children. But this is sobering stuff, isn't it? Their fear was a rejection of God. And it led to 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days of spying, 40 years in the wilderness. And we read Psalm 95 and it warns us, don't harden your hearts. Don't let your fears stop you from trusting God. Hebrews 3 and 4 picks it up and says, kind of pleads with us and says, make every effort to enter into God's rest, that, that place where we'll enjoy God forever. Make every effort, not kind of occasionally or when you've got time, or when you can fit in your talk, make every effort. Keep trusting Jesus until he welcomes you home. Because Hebrews 3 and 4 saying, you know, it's just too easy and it can happen to any of us that our fear can suffocate our faith in God. So let's come back to that question as we kind of wrap it up. How do you get that faith of Caleb? How do you get that faith that's not controlled by fear? That says, you know what, I'm going to trust and I'm going to follow God no matter what, you know, if I have to stand against a whole nation. How do you get that faith in Jesus that is fearless? Fearless. And the answer is through fear. You get it through fear. See, you will always fear and please people until you are captured by a greater fear, something bigger to fear in your life. And you know, in ancient times, the pagan gods kind of would have filled up that bit and they would have instilled all sorts of fear in people. But the, the pagan gods were capricious. You you never knew if you'd done enough to please them and keep them happy or whether they were going to kind of get you tomorrow. And so friends, here's the catch. Your fear will control you until fear in a gracious God liberates you. Let me try and explain that. The gospel of Jesus tells us that Jesus is someone you should fear. You know, he calms storms with the words, he is to be feared. But at the very same time, the good news of Jesus tells us that Jesus was tested in the wilderness for how long? 40 days. Why? Because he is doing what Israel could never do. He is faithful in a way that you and I are not. And there, we're meant to see Jesus, he's hungry and he's tempted and he's in the wilderness, but he trusts God. He does what we could never do. And then on the cross, Jesus pays the punishment that we could never pay. And, friends, when we trust in Jesus in his perfect life, not mine, when we trust in Jesus' perfect life, we're told God accepts us and God approves of us and God is pleased with us already. And so, in Jesus, we meet this God that we must fear. But at the very same time, we meet a God who is so loving and gracious to you and to me, he says, There is nothing to fear. Do you see? You know, if you've got only got a kind of God who is only loving and uh, always approving, you know, that very sentimental view of God, um, that sort of God isn't powerful enough to deal with your fears. If you've got a God who is only fearsome and never approving, you've got a God who isn't loving enough to deal with your fears. But if there was a God who is both fearsome and gracious, it would set you free. In C.S. Lewis's uh, books about Narnia in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, some of the the four children have kind of gone from World War II England through the portal to the land of Narnia. And uh, they meet Mr. Beaver. And they've heard that the ruler of Narnia is this person called Aslan. And they're talking, they're having tea with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver explains that actually Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a lion. And uh, one of the the children, Susan, is a bit kind of surprised and shocked. She said, "I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall be somewhat nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver turns to Susan and says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And friends, in the gospel of Jesus, we meet a God who we must fear, but who has loved us so that there is nothing to fear. And that will deal with the fear of the future, the fear of death, the fear of other people, and the fear of anything. When you've come to Jesus, why do we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, we, we confess first of all, That all of us here have at times let fear stop us doing what is good and what is right. That many times those of us who are Christians have let fear stop us from honoring Jesus with our lives. But Father, we thank you that in the gospel of Jesus, uh, we meet a God that you, who are both gracious and fearsome, We thank you that in the gospel of Jesus, we know that Jesus has died for us so that there is nothing more we need to do to please you. We thank you in the resurrection of Jesus, we discover that Jesus is risen and has conquered death and there is nothing to fear anymore. And so, Father, wherever we are with you today, we pray that you would lead us to worship, trust Jesus more and more. And we ask in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au